Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical, and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So I'm not a huge fan when people bring on their partner on their podcast to interview. Unless you're Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell, I think those guys are great. And they always create a, an honest uh, dialogue. But I've decided to bring on my girlfriend because I believe that uh, she not only has an amazing story that I think so many, especially today, can relate to. And that is uh, people who go from corporate to wellness and you know the struggles of that in that journey because that is happening so much today. Especially... Um, in our callous intensive, a lot of people going from uh, jobs that uh, where they're burned out into um, a career where they're helping other people. But she is also a mindfulness coach and a therapist who specializes in Buddhist and depth psychology. So all that is interesting, and we're going to have a great conversation about all of that stuff. So here is Vanessa Bennett. Okay, so this is where I would like to start. I have a friend named Jason. I work out with him. He came into the gym one day like he forgot my birthday and asked me if I liked white girls. Vanessa, are you there? I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I was partly offended because um, he assumed that I only liked Asian girls. And then I was part, I, I felt very weird about it. Like, um, that asking me if I only dated white girls um, because I was Asian. And then after that, he asked me, um, or he, actually he didn't ask me, he told me about this girl that he went on a hike with. Uh, and then he said, she's also a therapist. And so then, then I was kind of confused. I was like, wait a minute, so you think I only date Asian therapists? Um, but it turns out there was a reason why he said that. And uh, this is where I will pass the baton to you. <laughs> um, well, this is actually a really great forum to, to tell a little bit more of this side story because, uh, so I was hiking with, uh, now what John has said is our mutual friend, Jason. Um, I've known Jason for a really long time. We go way back to our New York, uh, TV production party days and we had been planning to catch up for a while since I moved to LA. And so we were on a hike and he, I don't know, we were talking and he was asking about my new life and, um, then he just said, you know, I have, I have this guy that I think would be great for you. And I was like, Oh, uh, and then he told me who you were and I got to see a picture. And when I saw your picture, I said to him, does he date white girls? The context to that is because I had recently, not so recently, but gotten out of something with somebody, um, who had essentially broken up with me because I was white. He couldn't see himself long-term with somebody who was white. Well, was um, it, was it just a picture or did you stalk my Instagram? Oh, I totally or did he just, Instagram. okay. So when you say not a picture, in that moment, not in that moment, I saw a picture in the moment and then I went home and stalked your Instagram, but okay. Oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's how it was. And then, and then you texted me that same night, actually. Wait, why, why did he ask me if I, if I only dated white girls? Because I told him that I was only interested is if you dated white girls, I said, ask him if he dates white girls. And I said, not just for fun casually, but like, does he seriously date people outside of his race? Because I had just been kind of burned recently. Right. By a non-white person. By a non-white person who, um, you know, five months into something, four months into something said that he couldn't be with me long term because I, I was white. Yes. So that's how it started. And then um, I, of course, stalked your Instagram. Like I, so when I stalk an Instagram, I don't fuck around. Like I go deep. I go, I go to the very first post. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because if you just go um, a little bit, you 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 may see a lot of photos or you might like a lot of posts. Um, but that's still not enough to get like the 360 view. You have to go to the beginning. Agreed. Agreed. 
Yes. Uh, to get, you know, cause then you could also see kind of the arc of the person and how they've changed and how far they've come and all that. And, and well, here's the other thing. It could go, it could go, I can tell you something crazy right now, though, because I feel like this is the perfect form to tell you. So I did stalk your Instagram. But what I will tell you is that, you know, we have a mutual friend, well, mutual friend now, who's one of my friends, who's who actually was a fan of yours for a long time. And I didn't I didn't know who you were. Um, I guess she said, you know, you're really big in the recovery community. And when I found out and I, we were going to go on this date. I actually said to her, and I think this is the perfect forum to tell you this. I don't know if I've actually even told you this before. I actually said to her, I'm going to date this guy. And Oh, she interesting. Said, yeah. I'm, I'm letting you know on this amazing, this forum that we're on. I said, I'm going to date this guy. And she goes, okay, oh. first of all, it, it's, a, it's a podcast. <laughs> you don't have to call it a forum. And um, I, I like the confidence there. L- let me ask you this. What, what was it about uh, the either my my Instagram or what was it about this whole experience where you're like, I'm going to date this guy? Or was it like an intuition thing? It was an intuition thing. There was something that you shared. Um, and I don't remember what it was, honestly, but it was something you shared. And there was something about your tone. Um, and just something about you. And I, I, I sent it to her and I said, I'm going to date this guy. And she's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like at the time, I don't know, you had like 40,000 followers. She's like, yeah, okay. You're going to date him. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to date this guy. And I was like, I just know. And, uh, so Danae, Danae knows a little bit more about our introduction story than you do until this moment. <laughs> mm, interesting. Uh, Danae, if you're listening, hello. okay so that that's basically the beginning and then um she uh then we started texting a little bit and um i asked her out uh to grab some dinner and there's a little restaurant called little doms now um i preference this because it's it's literally uh next door to my house meaning i could throw a quarter and hit little doms Uh, so it sounds very lazy that i chose that place but i did say that, that, you know, um, I, I'm probably going to lose points on how close it is, but it really actually is a good restaurant. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's a staple if you're new to L.A. And um, so let's go here first, right? And, yep. and you're, you're good with that. And so Vanessa walks in, um, surprised that I actually made reservations. And I want to mention that because I talk a lot about our dating culture. And um, now I didn't, like, you know, go above and beyond. I mean, I took a shower. I made reservations. <laughs> Um, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to paint myself as someone that's, For you know, people like who are listening to this though. And like, you know, in this dating culture that we have now, I mean, I will say I was pleasantly surprised, you know, you made a plan and it wasn't like, let's get coffee or let's get a drink. It was, you know, let's do dinner. Um, and it was actually like dinner reservations and you actually kind of planned it out. And that was, that was big. I mean, that was a huge thing for me. I was really impressed. I didn't know it was big. Um, but you know, I just did my thing, and then when she walked in, I was uh, pleasantly surprised, meaning um, I, I, usually, you know, when you go through someone's uh, social media, they usually, when you meet them in person, they look different or they act different. There's a lot of false false advertising, right? And so um, when I met Vanessa, I was like, oh, she's actually attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that, um, and so it it was a, a nice date, and then I walked her to her car, and then um, she's going to deny this, but she mm. said uh, – she, she claims it was very awkward because, I mean, I didn't kiss you or anything, but I walked you back to your car, and you said, hit me up sometime. <laughs> and you, you said it in a weird way, and I was like, oh, this girl, I think this girl's into me because she's like, oh, hit me up sometime. Um, was this before was, or after you awkwardly leaned in and like half – kissed my cheek half kind of kissed the corner of my mouth like what that awkward thing you did I don't remember that part um all I do remember is walking you to your car so that was the beginning and then of course you know like every other relationship dating and getting to know each other and of course all the stuff that comes up right mm-hmm. um our own stuff stories and and I also want to say that just because we are therapists um that it doesn't mean well two things one it doesn't mean that we we just sit there and psychoanalyze each other every day people ask me that right? all the time and then two just because we're therapists um doesn't mean that we have a perfect relationship nope we both have problems and uh yes. we bring them into the relationship <laughs> okay so um that's how we met and then now i want to make it about you i want to talk about your story your life um mindfulness which is a mm-hmm. uh, um a, a, a big it's a big topic in the conversations that you create and the stuff that you post and, you know, all of that. 
so Vanessa is a, a, a certified yoga trainer. Um, that sounds like I'm talking about like dogs, a dog trainer, yeah, a yoga, yoga certified yoga teacher. Um, she's also a mindfulness coach. And um, what's interesting about her story, and I think many can relate to this, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast, is uh, she went from corporate and did very well and then went from that to wellness. Now, there's a lot of that happening today. Mm-hmm. So let's start with um, let's start with wherever wherever you want. We can start with corporate. We can start with your upbringing. Hmm. Well, I guess probably the most relevant would be yeah. That why, why don't we start? I, I got an idea. Why don't we start with okay. Hooters? <laughs> oh, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you! I told you unrehearsed. Yep. We got to go yep. at it. So here, here's the thing. Now that we're eight, we're nine minutes in. People are listening. Yep. Yep. You can't you can't hang up. Nope. And then if you hang if you hang up, there's going to be a fight tonight. So <laughs> we have to go with the Hooters. I think you should just lean into the resistance and just go all in. Balls to the uh, wall. Little known fact about me: um, I did work at Hooters, multiple Hooters, three different locations to be exact, um, for about four years, college, um, along with bartending and all the things. Um, when I was putting myself, you know, I put myself through school. And, uh, yeah, so it's a part of my life that I don't really tell many people. Um, I used to be, I guess the wild child, um, you know, dance on the bar kind of person. Um, you why, know, I lived in Boston, I lived in New York. Why, why, why do you want to hide those things now today? Is it because, um, you're a therapist? Is it because, you know, you have your master's now? Is it because, uh, you know, being in the corporate world? Or have you always, like, not wanted to hide that that part of your story? I don't think I wanted to hide it at the time. I think, you know, I don't know if hide is the right word. I guess as I've gotten older um, and come into myself more and, and have become more confident in who I am as a person, Um, I rely less on the external for validation, which most of us do as we get older and mature. Um, and I think the complete opposite, by the way, (laughs) I think in a lot of ways, um, for me, sometimes it feels like you lose credibility, you lose respect, um, in that. So I, am not, I don't hide it. I just, I struggled to figure out how and where it fits into my narrative without just being like, by the way, I worked at Hooters. Um, you know? Part of my larger story, I guess. I think um, I think it's sexy that a therapist uh, worked at Hooters. I think it's peanut butter and chocolate, but that's of just me. You think it's sexy though? <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, if 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 you if you just worked at Hooters um, and then later on in life you were still a bartender, still working at Hooters, I don't necessarily think that's that sexy. But because you used to work at Hooters and now you're a therapist, like, see, I'm interested in the character arc. I like where um, people have gone somewhere, and I also like the. Um, the uh you know that you could all you could you could you could do something like that whether it's hooters mm-hmm. or let's say you're a stripper or whatever but then also um be uh help people and be and and also you're intelligent and all that stuff like to me that well, yeah. it's, you know, I mean, it's I humanizing you know mm-hmm. it's like it's like me i'm a therapist and yes i have a master's and all that but i was also you know, stealing car stereos, and I was a C student, and I uh, still don't know how to spell, and you know, all that shit. So, well, I think this is actually, you know, it's interesting. It's a relevant, I guess, topic based on uh, the weekend we've had. So, we just spent the weekend uh, in upstate New York, where I'm from, and some of the conversation is about this idea of, you know, I left upstate when I was 18, and um, really never went back. I mean, obviously to visit, but not, never moved back. And this idea of um, I don't know, as you get older, incorporating the story of who you are, where you came from, um, and not running from it as much. And I think that perhaps that's where I'm at in my life now, right? So it's it's less about being embarrassed of my story and more about looking at it, to your point, as like the story arc. It's like all of the things that I've been through and all of the, the phases and versions of myself are part of who I am now and today. And I wouldn't be who I am now and today if I didn't have those experiences. Yes. And I think it takes time to accept that. Um, of course, you know, my twenties. So growing up, I, I totally rejected the fact that I was Asian and I, I actually purposely, uh, you know, I didn't have, uh, I, I ran away from that culture. I was embarrassed mm-hmm. to eat kimchi and all that. So, uh, now I've come full circle and now I embrace it. And now, um, 
you know, I, I like I'm, I'm not embarrassed that I'm Asian. I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm proud. I mean, I'm, I, I like it. And so um, I think everyone has that. And I think it takes time for uh, people to uh, become mature, accept their past, um, who they are, where they came from. Um, and I think that process is very powerful because I think that when that starts to tip is when you start to share your story and it becomes bigger than you. Yes, I agree. And I think that, you know, I mean, that's what Jung talks about within the process of individuation as, as we all kind of grow older. It's not about, you always say, it's not about ripping out chapters. You know, it's this idea of a return to self. I mean, part of, part of figuring out who you are is the acceptance of all parts and all shadow sides of us. It's not, it's not pretending something didn't exist, you know? You're welcome. Me helping you right now return <laughs> yes. back to yourself by talking about Hooters. Um, okay, so let's let's move past Hooters and then so so tell us about uh, college, wh- what you wanted to be, how you got into corporate, and then we're going to get into wellness. Okay, so I my whole life I actually wanted to be on television. I wanted to be a TV host. Um, I toyed between the idea of hosting something on National Geographic or, um, honestly, for anybody who's about my age, like mid-30s-ish, I really wanted to be Brooke Burke for a while, um, who was the host of Wild on E. I thought she had the coolest job ever. She basically got paid to travel around to places and party. Yeah. I um, wanted to be with Brooke Burke for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was like my dream job, right? So I essentially, I didn't necessarily want to go for journalism. I wanted to go more for like TV personality, um, broadcasting. So I went to school for broadcasting for communications. And then I moved to New York and started kind of hustling, hitting the ground, doing some stuff on air, little projects, stuff like that. Um, did some like promotional work, uh, just trying to put my name out there. And along the way, I was bartending, doing all that stuff, doing the grind in New York. And um, my old boss that I had interned for at one point reached out to me and wanted to know if I wanted a job as a production coordinator at a small company at the time called Vitamin Water. And uh, well, it wasn't small at the time. It was already kind of big, but it wasn't owned by Coke yet. Um, So anyway, I decided to go the production route because I knew I was um, kind of an organizational freak and I was good at it. So I got in kind of. (laughs) I got into the production side and and essentially made my career from there. So I started out as a coordinator and I jumped around agencies and companies, um, mostly on the production and project management side in the creative world, and uh, eventually was leading a team. So I did that for about 10 years. Yeah. So young and, uh, you know, um, climbing the corporate ladder, um, you know, uh, working with teams, management, producing, making great money, a very kind of safe life, right? Safe and yet soul. Then what happened? When did the bottom <laughs> fall out? Um, it, it was kind of gradual for me, but I, I don't know. Something hit me when I was about 25. Um, I just realized I was miserable. Um, and it wasn't just work related. I mean, I think I was just miserable in my life in general, and I, I didn't know why. And uh, I had a couple of close friends of mine who, who basically just told me I was angry uh, and that I should maybe go talk to somebody. And, you know, I just, I realized now, obviously I had a lot of residue from, you know, childhood, from just some, you know, resentments and some stuff that I hadn't worked out yet. And I had never seen anybody at that point, um, as a therapist. So I decided to do it. So I actually went to my first therapist as well as my first yoga class within like a week of each other, um, and found them both at the same time. And it just, I mean, it opened up the doors for me. Right. So that was the bridge. And, um, then what, then how did you, didn't you just decide I want to be a therapist and then you pursued that? So, um, no, it wasn't an overnight thing. So I, I decided that I wanted to do my yoga teacher training, um, as I got more into my own yoga practice, uh, and started kind of seeing the benefits for myself mentally and emotionally, uh, in conjunction with my therapy. So I took my teacher training pretty soon realized I didn't want to teach yoga per se, but really just kind of incorporate it more into just my life. So I went from there and then I did a, um, a yoga therapy training. Uh, so I, I'm actually trained to do, do yoga therapy as well. Uh, it's like an integrative therapy program. And then I did a nutrition program. Uh, and then I took a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy training. So I basically just started kind of picking up breadcrumbs, if you will, like anything that interested me. So you know, and I use this a lot, actually, even my personal story with clients of my own now, where I say to them, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert has this great quote where she says, uh, our culture has bastardized the word or fetishized. She says fetishized. We have fetishized the word passion. And she Mm -hmm. says, it's not about finding your passion. It's about finding about finding out about what you're curious about and then leaning into curiosity. So, 
you know, you, oh, this, then that's kind of what I did. It was like, oh, this interests me. I'm going to go down this path. And then something else kind of shiny over here interested me. So I went down that path. And eventually, after doing this, I came to realize that I wanted to be a therapist and that I wanted to integrate all of this kind of training that I've been doing for the last four or five years at that point into the work that I would do with clients. What was your therapist journey like for you? I mean, it, it's still, you're still on it, um, yeah. but you know, you have a full practice. Uh, what has it been like? Because it hasn't been easy. No, I mean, I, I knew, well, so my therapist actually was the one that told me, you know, you would be really interested in, I think you'd be really interested in this school called Pacifica, which is in Santa Barbara. Remember, I was living in New York City at the time. Um, and so I kind of knew immediately when I went online that this was the school for me. I had a, I had an intuition, I had a gut sense, but I was in a relationship at the time to somebody who was very, uh, committed to staying in New York. And so I kind of promised him and myself that I would look at other options as well. So I went through the kind of rigmarole of looking at New York schools. Um, and then I decided to take a trip by myself out to California and I looked at two schools out there. And it was a bit of a journey. Like I, I went by myself. I did the road trip kind of down the, you know, the one, the Pacific Coast Highway. And I got out of my car on the campus at Pacifica and I had a complete and total visceral reaction. The hairs on my arms stood up. I welled up with tears. Um, and I was just standing there and I just knew that that's where I needed to be. So it's a program where you spend three days a month on campus and then the rest of it's done kind of online. So I flew back and forth from New York City to LA, up to Santa Barbara, every single month while I was working full time. So I did that for 10 months. And then I hit a wall. And I just said, I, I got to leave New York. I I, um, I was done. I'd had my fill. I'd been there for over 10 years. And so I made the leap and moved to LA by myself. And uh, it's been a bit of a struggle, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's interesting about this, which I love is... Um, you going to school full time. So a lot, of, a lot of people, you know, are really scared to transition. A lot of people um, are not pursuing their curiosity. They're just stuck in jobs that they hate. Um, I like that you took action behind that, you know. Um, and then the other thing that happened, which is really interesting, is that you broke your jaw, right? So you were in a yeah. hot tub and um, you were, uh, I don't know what you were doing in a hot tub, but you were in a hot tub and you fell and slipped and you hit your jaw. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wrote my thesis actually on pretty much my year 2016 because I ended a long relationship um, and it wasn't very clean. And I, I kind of had to follow my, my gut. I had to follow what I knew was right for me. And so I ended a very messy, you know, relationship. I moved across the country by myself, all my family's in the East coast uh, without um, a security blanket. Really. I moved into a friend's guest house and I had been in LA for two weeks. I was still living out of suitcases. Nothing had kind of shipped out here yet. And I was at a good friend's house down in San Diego and I was getting out of a hot tub and I slipped and I came down on my face <laughs> very gracefully and I broke my jaw in three places. And it was <sighs> quite the experience to say the least, but the, the timing of it in itself was very interesting because I was in such a life transition as it was. So I was wired shut for um, almost eight weeks. So total liquid diet. Um, and Kanye anybody, West. total Kanye West through the wire. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm a major talker. So that was very difficult for me. I'm an extrovert. Um, I love being around people. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, that was, I love, not only do I love people, I love food. So it was probably single-handedly the, the two hardest months, like almost of my entire life on top yeah. of all of the other emotional stuff that I was going through with the move and stuff. What's your greatest takeaway? Uh, because, you know, even though people don't have your story specifically, uh, they're either, um, you know, they've either experienced something like uh, what you've experienced or their version of that, or maybe they're going through that now. What's your greatest takeaway? So from um, New York to LA, uh, transitioning, new career, breaking your jaw, leaving a relationship. So like basically everything happening at once. I think many people can relate to that. Um, what's your greatest learning about yourself? And also what advice would you give other people who are, um, you know, going on their journey? Um, well, I mean, let's see, the title of my thesis was trauma as initiation. So I think that sums up my, my, my largest takeaway, I guess, from, from that perspective was really understanding the, the six to eight month period that I had been through that was 
absolute hell. Um, and I'll say that the beginning of that period was losing my grandmother. So there was these three big things that happened within like a six to eight month period, um, was very traumatic for me. And while I was in it, it was hard to see, but coming out the other side, there was a real understanding of, uh, trauma as actually a way, um, into rebirth. Right. And this is not a new concept. I mean, it's been written about in psychology and philosophy for many, many, many years. You know, I guess the biggest takeaway is this idea, um, that our psyche needs trauma. Um, it needs initiation to move it from, from one stage of life to another. Um, and so if we do not give ourselves initiations, which to get, basically sum it up, you know, if you think back, we used to have initiations and rituals as part of our culture, right? A lot of us now are very removed from ritual in our life. Um, you know, we have a few left, maybe kind of weddings. Um, you know, there's some in the Jewish tradition, some in the Christian tradition, but we don't have ritual anymore. And, and really what the theory is, is that our psyche actually needs it to move us forward. And so if we don't give it to ourselves, it will seek it out for us. And which is crazy to think about, but it's almost like at a psychic level, we seek out traumatic, really kind of like, you know, you hit the wall, like your life explodes kind of experiences to essentially say to yourself, like this part of your life is over. It's time to move on. It's time to move into this next phase and you're dragging your feet. So Um, this happens a lot in relationships. Yeah, I I do. Yeah, I do. Um, Not just relationships. Right. But like you see this in, in, well, this is like the midlife crisis, right? I mean, it's, it's people's life transitions. It's somebody is dragging their feet. They don't want to make a move. Um, which one of the things I love to say is this idea that not making a decision is making a decision by the way. Um, and something major has to happen, right? You have to drop to your knees in order for you to actually make a change. And I think this was it for me. And, um, so now on the other side of it, I'm grateful as much as I can be for that year of really hard times because it really helped me come into who I am. So, you know, I got really deep with my meditation practice because I had to, to stay sane when I am, you know, your mouth is closed shut for eight, eight weeks. Um, and I got really deep into my, my therapy work and just kind of my soul work really. And it was really through this journey into the darkness, right? Like the dark night of my soul that I was able to come out the other side so much more clear on not only who I was, but where I was going, what I wanted, um, what this next phase of my life looked like. And I don't think I would have had that clarity or those reckonings, those realizations, right, without those experiences that I had had. Yes, and this is where we're getting to the meat and potatoes of this episode, and this is what I really want to talk about and why you're on this episode because I really think that um, we could create a valuable conversation about meditation and mindfulness, right? So um, using your personal story, but also as a, a mindfulness coach, everything that you've learned and, and, and that you're, you're helping clients with today, um, I don't know where do you want to start because it's such a broad topic, but it's everywhere. Um, you just did a, a, a video course on how to reduce anxiety and depression using mindfulness, which I think is really interesting. So first, let's talk about what is mindfulness, what is meditation, and how can we use that uh, to, you know, have less anxiety and, 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 and be better version of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think most of us know that mindfulness has kind of become a buzzword these days, which is not the worst thing in the world, obviously it's great. But, um, so the definition really of mindfulness is paying attention to something in the moment on purpose without judgment. And yeah, which is, which is really easy to do. Yeah, exactly. And it's the without judgment. (laughs) That's actually the most important part, right? So, so what does that mean? Essentially what that means is it's paying attention, not just being mindful in the moment externally, right? So you and I are sitting across each other having a conversation and I'm not on my phone, but I'm actually there with you, right? Noticing you, listening to you, paying attention to you, seeing people in the restaurant, hearing the noises, smelling the smells, all the things that are happening. But it's also can be it can be turned internally as well, right? And that's the practice of mindfulness internally. That's where meditation comes into play. So, it's being aware of what's coming up and not judging it as good or bad. It just is. And what is the okay? So what's the benefit of that? Well, really, what it does is it 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 removes you from your thoughts. So so many of Mm -hmm. us walk around thinking that we are our thoughts. And we are not our thoughts, right? Thoughts are not facts. They're just thoughts. 
and they pass through our brains constantly. That's what our brains do. They're meant to think, right? But just because our brains are meant to think doesn't mean that they're producing thoughts that are accurate or, or true, right? It's not truth. So what it helps you do, this practice of mindfulness, is detach yourself and back up so that you're able to watch the thoughts in a way. It's almost like you're watching a movie screen, right? And you don't get sucked into the storyline it just passes by, whether it's good right. or bad. You don't get attached to it either way um, because you're not labeling it as good or bad. It just is. It's a thought, and that's all it is. Yeah, and as she was saying, getting sucked into the storyline, the thing about our thoughts is our, th our thoughts produce a feeling, mm -hmm. right? And then that feeling, that chemical charge, because um, a feeling is going to be the elephant and your logic and it's going to be the writer on top and the elephant's going to go where it's going to go. So once you produce a feeling from that thought, and usually our thoughts are, you know, negative, right? Uh, then that feeling is what sinks you. Yes. Then, well, so, the, then the feeling is like, line, you know, whether it's fear mm -hmm. or loneliness or sadness or anger, like all those feelings that are heavy, that's what, um, and then those feelings produce more thoughts. And so then you, you're in this vicious circle, yep. uh, a pattern that uh, gets you to sink in your quicksand. Well, and also, you know, the way that it works in our brain is that we actually produce these tracks, right? Like it's like grooves on a record. So the more you have these negative thought tracks, these thought patterns, the deeper and deeper those grooves become, and they actually become habitual. Um, and so part of mindfulness is also breaking those habits and being able to see them for what they are, rather than just getting sucked into it and not even recognizing that you're in that loop. Um, and I want to be clear too, that it's not about, it's not all about positive thoughts and positive thinking. Um, mindfulness is actually very anti positive thoughts only. Um, I, I actually wrote an article about this that did really well, right? This idea of like positive vibes only. And this, you know, this, this kind of, I, I hate to say yogi culture, but it, it very much is prevalent in the yoga community. Like, you know, only good vibes, like don't be around anybody that has negative vibes. I only want to be positive. Look, life has negative shit. Like it's, it's complete and total crap to say that we're going to only be able to be around positivity all the time. And also it's fake. That's not real life. What it is, is you can be more and more with practice. You can be in the midst of negativity, quote unquote, and not get attached to it, not get sucked into it. That's the difference. Yeah. And I think, um, the reason why that article went viral, uh, it, it hit, um, it hit a nerve or a pulse and what's happening in wellness is there's a crust forming because mm -hmm. of the commercialization of wellness and so things like you know be positive mm -hmm. or be be grateful like there's a lot of uh, words that are very important but they're being overused and they're becoming bumper stickers they're becoming um uh, it's just a lot of people are wearing the t-shirt but not really actually practicing it and that's what you're talking about right totally and look what i just talked about my story like i wouldn't be where i am right now if i didn't go into the depths of the darkness right like that is where the meat and potatoes of my story was so if i was all positive vibes only i would not have come out the other side of that kind of six to eight month period of my life anywhere near who I am right now. So if you gloss over the negative, if you don't give the negative, um, and I hate to say negative because even that's classifying it kind of good or bad, but if you gloss over the negative or the darkness, you miss out on the light. You don't get to have light without dark, period. It's that simple. It's a universal law, right? So mindfulness helps us kind of see that. So how does mindfulness then help us with anxiety, which I guess you, you kind of explained with um, uh, creating distance between us and our thoughts. Um, how does it help us with anxiety and depression? Well, partly, you know, like I said, it is about distancing. It's also getting really familiar with yourself. So we do a lot of, in the program that I, I created, which I've pulled from a bunch of different teachings and learnings and things that I've done over the last 10 years, you know, there's a lot of exercises and ways that we get super familiar with our internal voices. And I use that plural because we all have multiple internal voices, um, who, who we are on the inside. So let me give one example. Um, we work on this thing called the layers of the negative experience. And so one of the exercises we do is kind of learning to dig yourself or back yourself into an experience. So I'm going to try to spit all this because I don't have my notes in front of me, but if I remember correctly, so say I wake up and I'm in a pissed off mood, right? That's layer one. I'm in a bad mood. Now, if I go to layer two, right, it's like I stub my toe. So I'm in physical pain, which is causing the bad mood, right? If I go even deeper than that, it might be that I slept 
really shitty for the last few days. And so I've been really groggy and irritable. And then that helped me essentially stub my toe, which then caused the negative experience, right? And you literally keep going down and down and down and you dig yourself down until you go, oh, that's what that is. I'm not just angry, blanket statement, negative experience. It's because of layer two, layer three, layer four. And what that does is it helps you not only understand yourself, it helps you kind of relieve yourself of the anxiety that comes with like, why am I like this? I shouldn't be feeling this way. What's wrong with me? All of the kind of crap we put on our shoulders, right? And it just helps you get to a better understanding, I guess, is, is what yes, I'm saying. Yes, yes. Um, so what you're talking about uh, is this idea of what's running underneath, mm -hmm. you know, because yep. I think a lot of us react from the thing that happens on top. Yes. So whether it is, you know, getting fired, uh, someone dumped you, someone ghosted you, you know, whatever it is, you stubbed your toe. Um, but it, it's the accumulation, or as you say, the layers of, of stuff that is happening or, or what something means to you and you attaching definitions uh, or meaning to something. Um, and then the uh, thing that's happening on top is just kind of unleashing all of the other stuff. Yep. Exactly. And right. so, yeah. And so really one of the biggest purposes of mindfulness is really just truly creating an understanding relationship um, to your inner landscape. It's getting so familiar with yourself that you become so aware of your patterns and, you know, what the thoughts are arising from and the emotions, where they are in your body, you know, when they come up, how they come up. You're just really getting a really um, solid relationship with the self, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people think that uh, EQ, emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. is just you know, oh, you communicate well, or um, he has really high high EQ because he expresses himself. Um, this is also emotional intelligence, yes. right? This is also uh, um, the ability to understand self, right? Yes. That I think is everything. Everything. Yeah, I totally everything. agree. Yeah, and and it doesn't even mean that. Um, you have to have answers or solutions. I mean, just understanding yourself alone, I think, is already um, it's already working if you're, you're if you're able to do that, if, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And that's self-care, right? Like we talk about this a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, this idea of self-care of like treat yourself. I mean, look, you want to go out and get a pedicure and take a bubble bath. Great. That's awesome. I mean, I wish I had time to do that every day. But self-care also includes this work. It also includes getting to know yourself and understanding why and how you tick. That's just as important as taking a bubble bath. <laughs> yeah, um, More. Let's, let's, let's italicize this because I think this is so important, especially you know going back to this idea of uh, commercialization of wellness, mm -hmm. and going back to this idea of commercialization of wellness and how um, words like self-care have become bumper, bumper stickers. Um, yes, self-care, it can be pedicures, can be a donut once in a while, can be all the things, massages, but no one talks about self-care in this, in this way. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really important, right? And so uh, self-care is actually uh, doing the work on being aware of self and yeah. everything that's happening within you. Yeah, it's, it's setting boundaries with people. It's speaking up when you're somebody who normally doesn't want to rock the boat. It's, you know, all of the things that we work on when you're, whether you're with a therapist or a coach or, you know, just doing this kind of inner landscape work, it's figuring out these kind of um, patterns or traits that you have that are keeping you tied up and then working to untie them. So understanding is great, and then you have to put kind of into action, right, which is like the, if I know I'm the people pleaser and I know that I'm the codependent, then my work, my self-care is actually speaking up and drawing a line and, and setting a boundary. That is self-care. So let's give people some um, takeaways, some exercises, some things that they can do, really simple things uh, to practice mindfulness, to thread mindfulness into their lives. Okay. Um, so where would we start and what are some things that they can do daily? So one of the exercises that I give people in my course um, that runs for, it's a four-week program, is each week I have you pick a different, um, what I call like an everyday activity, and you're going to do it mindfully. So week one, let's say, uh, is going to be brushing your teeth, right? It's got to be something that you do every single day that you're not going to leave the house without doing, right? Um, so let's say it's brushing your teeth. In the morning, what I want you to do is I want you to take the toothpaste out of the cabinet. 
I want you to feel the bottle of toothpaste, the squishiness in your hand. I want you to look at the label. I want you to notice the colors. I want you to notice the fonts. I want you to give it a little bit of a read over. Then I want you to open it. I want you to squeeze it onto your toothbrush. I want you to look at it, notice the color. Maybe you start to smell it. Then I want you to slowly put it in your mouth. I want you to slowly brush your teeth. Now look, you don't have to turn this into a 10 minute ordeal, obviously, but you're going slow enough where you're feeling the sensation of the toothbrush on your gums, on your teeth. You're noticing the taste on your tongue. You're noticing the saliva, right? You get it. The point is it's every single kind of sensation of the experience that you're in. Now look, your brain is going to wander. Of course it's going to wander. Minds wander. It's what they do. They think, right? The point of this is to notice if you can, when it's wandered off to maybe what you've got going on in a meeting that day, the conversation you had with your partner last night, whatever, notice, oh, my mind has wandered. And then you bring it back to brushing the teeth. Okay. I feel it on my tongue. I can taste the peppermint, right? Oh, oh, my mind has wandered. Okay. Nope. Bringing it back. The peppermint, the saliva. So this is something that you can do. And what I do in the program is each week you pick something new, right? So if week one is toothbrushing, teeth brushing, the next week is making your bed, right? And you do it mindfully every single day for that week. So like in a nutshell, it's the practice of being present. Yes. Using all your senses, correct? Yes. And it's, it's a muscle, you know, it's a muscle that needs to be built. You wouldn't go to the gym one day and expect to walk out with a perfect body, right? It takes work. And mindfulness is a muscle. It needs to be built, and, and most of us are not good at it. So when we exercise this muscle and we get it stronger, what are the results of that, of being present? God, so many results. Um, well, one, you know, staying out of our cognitive distortions, right, which yeah. we all have. Um, I, I call it jumping into our time machines, the – Living in the past, you know, obsessing about the, the, the dwelling on the future, or dwelling on the past, obsessing about the future. Mm -hmm. This is everyone, and we do it all the time. So that's, that's one of the things. Yep, and then, being of present. course, you know, other distortions like future tripping, um, you know, all the cognitive distortions. If you Google, Google, Google them, you'll, you'll know, and you can relate to, to most of them. Um, so kind of staying away from those. And then what else? So, yeah, I mean, basically what you're talking about is like being present, right? Like it's a, it's a better ability to be present and be aware in the, in the moment, right? So that's obviously a huge thing. Um, but the other thing is also to be able to separate thoughts from feelings, right? So again, it's like what's fact and what's not. Um, you have a better ability to not get sucked into, I always call it the hamster wheel, right? So whereas you might find yourself normally ruminating on something for two hours, the more you build up this practice, you might catch yourself in that cycle 10 minutes in and be like, whoa, 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 and back out before you've just spent two hours ruminating on something that's pointless, right? So it also makes you appreciate what you have. Oh, so much. You know, and this is for me, this is huge because I used to only obsess about what I didn't have and always felt my life life was lacking because I didn't have those things. Um, when you are, and of course, I never practiced mindfulness or meditated or anything, um, and I, I was just always chasing. So when you start to practice uh, mindfulness, when you are, are very present and actually uh, not just once, like Vanessa said, but as a lifestyle, mm -hmm. um, you start to appreciate the micro. You start to appreciate moments. You start to appreciate, you know, the way that someone's lip curls or how someone treated you or there's a way that someone kissed you. Things that we always that we forget about because we're so focused on the big things like the house or the corner office or the, you know, the, the, the money or, or whatever it is, um, you actually start to live in color. Well, I mean, we could give an example of how you, you know, in the beginning almost used to like kind of think it was funny, or I think you do still think it's funny. When we walked on the street, how I'm constantly like inhaling the scent of the flowers in LA, right? I can promise you now, 10, 15 years ago, I was not walking on the street that hyper aware of my sense of smell. Now, granted, LA smells a lot better than New York does, but the point is, is like most of us don't do that. Most of us don't walk outside and go, God, the smell of jasmine is intoxicating in the air right now. And I can tell you what, it might sound silly, but that gives me such joy in that moment to just stop and breathe in and just appreciate, appreciate how amazing that is. And I didn't used to appreciate that stuff, you know, and that's what life is. Life is those little moments, right? It's not to sound cheesy or like a bumper sticker, but we don't have a general appreciation for the little things, it takes work to appreciate the little things. Um, you know, love is also those little moments. Mm -hmm. And 
love also takes work. And I think that people who are in relationships um, where they're not being mindful, it, it's a, the same thing happens. They're, 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 they're kind of loving um, around each other, not with. They're not in it. They're not appreciating all the things and doing life together. Yeah, and, and not only are they not appreciating it, but if you don't have um, kind of mindfulness as an as everyday practice, what I see happen a lot is you get very reactive. Right. So you, yes, it's yes. a knee jerk. What happens is everything is knee jerk reaction. So you say something, it makes me react. I just spit it out versus you say something. I notice the sensation in my body of maybe my chest tightening mm. and I notice the tightening in my stomach and my chest. And I recognize the thoughts that come up that maybe, I don't know, let's say you speak, you speak to me in kind of a nasty tone. I'm making this up and I feel this tightness in my stomach and I, I've made this separation, right? I've, I've done this work. And all of a sudden I recognize that my thoughts go to my dad or something. Right. And I, and right. I, all of a sudden I'm starting to connect dots like, Oh, when you speak to me like that, it reminds me of being a little kid when my dad used to scream at me. Right. We're not able to get to that layer of connectedness until we really do the work of being present with the sensations in the body and the thoughts that come up and how they're all connected. Right. So that's yes. also a benefit of mindfulness and relationships, too. Yeah. So it basically it acts as a, as, acts as a speed bump. You know, what's yes. funny is yes. um, so so Vanessa is very thorough and she's like uh, long winded and she's, you know, gets great uh, straight A's. Um, I'm like, how can I say it in a sentence? You know, I'm street level. <laughs> so she's she's describing all the whole thing about mindfulness. I'm like, oh, it's a speed bump. <laughs> no, speed bump is exactly so what it is. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to minimize. Uh, I'm just I'm just pointing out how different we are, which is which is which is great. Yeah. Okay, so well, you call it a speed bump, and in the Buddhist community, we call it build, learning to build in the pause, right? So, to your point, it is it it becomes less knee jerk, right? And it becomes okay. Here's the action that happened. And then I sit with myself and I say, okay, here are the feelings, here are the thoughts, here are the sensations that are coming up. Let me take a moment to process that before I just spit something back out at you. What that does is it helps us communicate more thoroughly what we're feeling, what our needs are, um, you know, what's hurting us, et cetera, to our partners. Um, now, this isn't easy, obviously, or yeah. else everyone would be doing it. Yeah. And, and why is this difficult? And this is a struggle that I have, too. Um, uh, mindfulness and meditation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm all about um, I'm all about belief systems. I'm all about mindset. I'm all about, you know, reframing, uh, attaching new definitions and all that. Um, but when it comes to mindfulness and meditation and this kind of stuff, it's really hard for me. And it's because I just, I never, I never thread it into my life. I do it once and then I don't do it again for like the next, you know, two, three weeks later. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple things. I think first off, we, our culture now is very, um, we have no attention span anymore. Um, and that's just fact, right? We're, yeah. we're overstimulated in every sense of the word. Uh, so it's very hard to be present and mindful because we get distracted really easily. We have short attention spans. So partly it's that, but also, you know, I, I personally think a lot of it is being mindful. The quote unquote problem with being mindful is that you also become very aware of the bad, not just the good, right? So when I say I get to smell the flowers more frequently, that's amazing. But now I also am much more aware of the pain. I'm much more aware of my sorrow. I'm much more aware mm -hmm. of, you know, you're coloring now with a full box of crayons, right? So a lot of people, it, it, it can be very hard because I don't want to look at that. I don't want to touch that feeling. I don't want to examine that. But like I said, going back to the beginning, if we don't, you don't get to have light without dark. You know what I think is cute? I think you just told my one of my things. I say you're coloring with a full box of crayons. Oh, I think use, that's mine. I'm using your I'm using your words now. You're using my shit. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> um, let's you stay on your side of the bed. Let, let, you know, I'm I work alone. Okay. 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 Go. You may continue. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think that that's part of it. You know, this isn't easy work because we do have to face the negative as well as the positive. So that, that makes it very difficult for people. I think a lot of times, um, yeah. Yeah. And if, and if a lot of people are practicing mindfulness, they think they are, um, but they're only choosing to focus on the positive. Mm -hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but, but that's actually not the deepening work, right? Well, that's not mindfulness, right? Going back to the, the definition it's noticing everything without judgment. So you're not classifying mm. good and bad. You're just noticing what is and then kind of allowing it to just pass through. 
So if you're only focusing on the positive, you're not actually being mindful. Yes, you're not. Let's switch gears a little bit. And for the next, um, I don't know, five or 10 minutes, let's talk about love. Let's talk about, uh, so one of the things that uh, has been an interesting conversation um, that Vanessa and I have been having is um, attachment styles Mm -hmm. and uh, love languages and all of that stuff. And um, we, you know, we, we talk about this stuff just because we're genuinely interested. Uh, it's not just because we're coming up with uh, ideas to like, you know, turn into content. Um, we actually, uh, for, our own, for our own relationships and, and also uh, when I say relationships, I mean um, hers with herself and me and myself. I'm not talking about like that, you know, we are, that we are in an open relationship. But um, my relationship with self, her relationship with herself, and then of course our relationship with each other. So that's why I say relationships plural. Um, but I think it's really interesting, and, and I've learned so much uh, in the last, uh, you know, year and a half plus, and, and just uh, not only uh, the experience of um, dating Vanessa, but us having these conversations. So let's talk a little bit about attachment styles, because I, I get a lot of emails about this. Um, and let's break it down to just the two attachment styles. There are more, but basically there's avoidant and there's anxious. And, and, and um, secure. Well, yeah, secure is the obvious. Secure is the ideal, right? That's kind of the that's the attachment style everyone's everyone's uh, striving striving for. Um, so Vanessa is uh, falls more under the avoidant attachment style, and I fall more under the anxious uh, attachment style. Now, why this is important is as a couple, when we talk about this, we get to understand each other better, and by doing so, when we get angry. Um, or, or, or if there's conflict or misunderstanding or people are getting hurt, uh, when we look at the, uh, each other and, and, and see how uh, our attachment styles affect um, our behavior, that understanding uh, creates room for us to then be empathetic, not jump to react. You know, like, like for example, we, we don't jump to, oh, he um, hates me or is going to leave me or any other, you know, kind of false belief that can be our knee jerk. Uh, before knowing about uh, these attachment styles and how we're wired. Or even if we do, we catch ourselves and go, wow, I'm going into that pattern or that headspace again. Right. And that's why it's important to have these conversations. So briefly, what is avoidant and what is anxious? Um, Okay, briefly. Well, first off, I will say secure. I mean, it, it does sound so like ominous, but there actually are more securely attached people than any other. So that is the bulk of the people, which is good news. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I actually would have, would have said that, that that was the minority. No, it's actually the majority. Um, and the good news also oh, is that you so can... So that, that makes me feel like there's something wrong with me. <laughs> if I'm well, not. but the good news is you can move towards being more secure, secure. right? So okay. like you said, I, I tend to be more anxious, you t- um, avoidant, you tend to be more anxious. But the good thing is, is that because we've done our work for the last 10 plus years for each of us, both of us kind of fall 50-50 in the secure realm as well. And I guarantee if we had, you know, taken these little quizzes and stuff that we take now 10 years ago, I would have been like, so 100% in avoidant, it would have been ridiculous, right? So there is hope. Yeah, I, I think I'm like 75 secure. You said 50, but I'm going to correct you. I'm going to say 50. But well, I think we're both neck and neck. <laughs> so the beauty of this, right? So here's what I guess I'll break it down as best as I can. And I'm not an attachment style expert. Um, it is something that I actually, as a therapist recently have kind of not just gotten interested in, but have been doing more research on because I think it's so fascinating and it's been so helpful and, and you're in my relationship, right? Um, so with avoidant, what, ha- what tends to happen is you fear being engulfed. So there is a deep fear of, of engulfment, meaning if you get too close, you do behaviors that are meant to distance, right? The distancing is protection. So you're protecting yourself from obviously getting hurt. You're protecting yourself from true intimacy, from being seen, from being vulnerable, all these things. The underlying fear being, if I get too close, this person is going to completely consume me. Anxious is the other, the other side of that, right? It's the flip side. So with anxious, it's, there's this constant fear of being abandoned. So you can picture maybe like an anxious person, like sticking their claws in somebody and holding on for dear life. And the avoidant is the person that's kind of like pushing them away, trying to get out of it. Right. The thing about that is they tend to love each other. Um, anxious 
activates avoidant, avoidant activates uh, anxious. So they tend to, to be drawn to each other, um, which is why we have a lot of unhealthy love out there. Um, it's not to say they can't work, you and I do, but it takes a lot of self-understanding and understanding of your partner and empathy, I think, to, mm -hmm. to make that, that dynamic work. Dig deeper with it, guys. Um, it, you know, it 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 just it 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 goes back to what we're talking about as far as um, understanding self, being aware. And I think especially with love, we don't take that step. We don't look under the hood and see why we do what we what we do or see mm -hmm. how we love. Um, we don't investigate our patterns, um, attachment styles. Uh, that's just one door in. It's it's you know it's one category or one part of you. And it's something worth uh, exploring. Yeah. And I think just to end on this idea of going back even to what we were talking about with Hooters, you know, the theme is acceptance. And I think mindfulness, just to go back to that, is a lot of that works to bring you a, a greater sense of acceptance for everything. That includes not just with yourself, but with your partner. This isn't a magic wand. There's no such thing. Therapy's not a magic wand. You know, nothing can be quote unquote fixed. Um, it's about increasing your tolerance for things because life is crazy. You know, we, yeah. we have bad, we have good, we, we all have triggers. We all have childhoods and all of this crazy shit. Nothing can fix that. It's not about fixing. We're not broken. It's about gaining a better acceptance of it and, and learning to have kind of, um, more of an appreciation for all those colors. Yes, for sure. Um, we didn't touch on love languages, so we'll do it really quick. Uh, love languages, I thought before, was a marketing ploy to sell books. And um, I actually am really into them now. And, and recently, in the last year or two, I've been um, exploring what my love languages are, how I love, how I receive love, um, what that looks like. And I think they're important. So just briefly, there's, um, and Vanessa, help me with this, there's... Um, uh, here are the love languages. There, uh, acts of service is a love language. Um, uh, act of uh, touching, right? Uh, touch, yep. Touch. Um, Vanessa's love language is food. <laughs> that's my. That's the sixth love language. <laughs> we've, we've added is, one. Yeah. Um, there's uh, what else is there? There's words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. That's one of mine. Um, quality time. Quality time. And I think is that one more? I think that's it. No, nope. we, we missed one. Touch. Acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, gifts, gifts. Yes. Yeah. So um, for me, I like touch. Uh, that's one of my love languages, and also words of affirmation. Right. That's how I receive and um, uh, give love. Vanessa, on the other hand, hers is acts of service. Is one of them. And what's your other one besides food? Um, I mean, access service is, is pretty dominant for me. Um, I guess I would say quality time, but I think access service is like almost number one. Right. So here's what's interesting. And I'm going to use our, our relationship as an example. I could write her a poem, right? Which she and does. pour my heart out, which I do. And, and I'll like, <laughs> you know, hide it. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter if I hide it in her purse or write it in the sky. Um, for me, that's like a big deal. I'm, I'm showing you my love. Now, I'm not saying that she doesn't appreciate that, but it probably won't go as far as me, for example, taking her car out and getting it washed for her or doing something where it saves her some kind of time because I'm doing some kind of service. Yes. Correct? And now, you know, picking up dinner for me and I don't have to think about it. <laughs> something like right. that. Right. So now if I didn't know that that was her love language, I would be hurt and I'd be mad um, that I spent thousands of dollars with a skywriter, um, you know, writing her, her <laughs> name in the sky. And she's like, oh, that's sweet. That's nice. <laughs> Um, but because I know her love language is acts of service, then it makes me understand her more and it, I take it less personally. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and you learn to speak your partner's kind of language. You also learn to tell your partner what your needs are, right? Which is yes. just as important. So if I right. know that my love language is acts of service and I communicate that clearly to you, that's very important for me to say to you. I love you and I love your poetry, but what I really need from you to feel loved is I need sometimes to come home after a long day and have there be dinner waiting for me. That's what I need. Yeah, and this is why people need to talk in relationships. Mm -hmm. So that was just a really simple example, um, but explore love languages and explore 
attachment styles. Uh, those are two really big doors to enter if you are feeling stuck in your relationship, um, or if you, even if you're not and you want to love harder or be um, bring more to the table as, as a partner, instead of uh, pointing fingers at your partner, um, you know, work on you first. Yeah, accountability. Be the example. Yeah. All right. So, where can they get your mindfulness course? Um, well, you can go to my Instagram. It's it's definitely attached to that, which is uh, Vanessa S. Bennett. Um, or you can. How get... do you spell Bennett? <laughs> you never know how to spell Bennett. Vanessa V A N E S S A S, just the letter S. Bennett B E N N E T T. Um, and then it's my website as well. So VanessaBennett.com. Cool. Well, Vanessa, thank you for being on my podcast. Um, thank you for having sex with me. Thank you for making me food. Thank you thank for, you for taking me, me to. <laughs> yes. Thank you for uh, bringing me to New York. And um, thank you for teaching me. Um, well, not to, to, thank you for giving me new love experiences because I really believe that um, no matter how many relationships you you know that we've been in, um, good or bad, and I think the bad ones are, are just as important as the good. Um, that we are always loving. I mean, we are, we are always learning through loving, and I choose to be a student to love, and I've learned so much from you um, in the last year and seven months. I agree. I feel the same way. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Be well. <laughs>